It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, welcome to the Park Royals podcast, supported by both Blue Collar Street Food and Phantom Brewing Co. Today is a bit of a different episode. Uh, we are going to discuss the latest Reading FC accounts that were released last week. I've been joined by Hugh to discuss them with me. Hugh, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. We're recording this uh, Friday morning. So, um, yeah, waking up to, I guess, seeing the news last week about the latest set of accounts, seeing that it was slightly more positive, but still work to be done, as I'm sure we'll discuss uh, coming up. Yes. And as you say, it's Friday morning. So, thankfully, there's no Reading game this weekend, which is probably yes. a blessing in disguise at the minute. Um, we've also been joined by a special guest this morning in uh, Kieran Maguire. You might know Kieran as the. Uh, Price of Football on Twitter or have heard him on many different media stations, TV, too, radio. Too many, too many. Too many potentially, yes, <laughs> as you were, you were alluding to beforehand. Um, only, only so many times you can talk about Manchester United, so hopefully this is a bit different for you. Yes, yes, much, very much so, yeah. Let's jump right into it and look at kind of why, well, not why we are where we are, but Let's look at how we've got to where we are. Um, Hugh, I'll let you kind of like give us a little mm. bit of a background. So so I did some interesting research the other day because I thought I'd prepare for this one, it being a, di- a bit different to a match review. Since um, the Chinese ownership happened, I think everyone will remember walking out of the playoff semi-final against Fulham where we just won 1-0 and seeing there was a takeover happening um, from the ties who previously owned the club and there was a buzz around the ground for sure we thought well it's going from kind of better to even better because we thought well the ties couldn't invest too much money what we saw this as was going to be kind of more investment and if we got to the premier league that would be great i did a bit of research on transfer market which i know isn't most accurate when it comes to transfer fees but since the uh, summer of seventeen eighteen, where we spent on players like Bakuna, uh, Dave Edwards, Bodvas and Sonia Luko and such. In terms of just players we've signed for a fee, 
we spent 38.1 million since that point. On just those 13 players, Alex, would you like to know how much Reading recouped over those uh, since signing players for a fee of that 38.1 million? I don't really want to know, but I'm going to guess it's like very low, zero potentially. No, higher than that. So it was one player we made a profit on. That was Leandro Bakuna was the only one because Cardiff were mad enough to sign him for three and a half million when we paid apparently uh, 1.5 to 2 million for him. But we've only made 5.9 million on those players. Now, three are still at the club, Ijaria, Zhao and Puskas. But I think that highlights that Reading have not been a well-run club. When you look at teams like Brentford, for example, who are always my go-to in terms of well-run club, and Brighton as well, who I know Kieran is very happy to be a Brighton fan at the moment. With, um, in fact, I think I read they have the second lowest wage boom in the Premier League, but currently sitting ninth. You look at the fact, so Brentford, for me, signed Ollie Watkins on the cheap, sold him for £25 million, and then could use that £25 million to go and get Ivan Tony and get promoted to a Premier League. We sell these players for next to nothing or we let them go on a free. And that leads to essentially a set of accounts where you look at it and you just see the fact that the only money that comes into the club is pumped in by the owners. As you said, the transfers over the last five, six years since the um, since the Chinese have kind of come into the club have not been not been good. And uh, Kieran, when we look at Reading and as a kind of a, one of the things that always stands out with the accounts that come out, uh, especially in the championship, is the is the wage to it, wage to turnover percentage. And Reading's has been kind of historically bad over the last few years, well over two hundred percent. And I mean, when you kind of compare that to other teams, it's it's pretty awful. Is it a case that Reading's wages is just way in excess of every other championship team? Or is that just a, a case of turnover being too low at Reading? And wait, Reading's wages are below average as far as the championship are concerned. So the wage bill last season was 25 million, which works out based on my very, very crude calculations at about 12 grand a week. The average in the championship is probably about 14 and a half. We've just seen uh, Bournemouth announce their results earlier this morning um Bournemouth's wage bill was 61 million so it was it was over twice that of Reading's but they were promoted um so it, it's an expensive business in which to operate uh Reading did have the parachute payments for four seasons and, and they've tapered off and, and, and now they don't exist anymore which makes the job that much more difficult and you then have to ask yourself, where is the money going to come from to be competitive? And I think this is this is the challenge. You, you, you can do do a, what I'd refer do a Rotherham when you get to the championship. Say that you're going to have a very low budget, stick to it, aim to break even in the championship, and aim for fourth bottom. And sometimes that works, and sometimes that doesn't. And if you go back down to League One you're actually in a very strong position to come out of League One. Um, or you can set a higher budget. And if that is the case, you then have to accept that the club is going to, to lose money. And the average losses in, in the championship are in the region of £350,000 a week. 
you then have to ask yourself, well, well how do we deal with those losses? Either A, through player sales, and, and as you've just been saying, that's not been a successful model for Reading in recent years, or uh, the, the owners pumping money in, in the form of, of loans, ideally interest-free, or shares, um, until A, they get bored, B, they find somebody else, or C, they they manage to find some magic beans from from somewhere, um, which which helps to cover the losses. But it, it's it's a truly uh, disturbing division because the losses are not. We, we've come out of lockdown. The losses haven't gone down. Mm. Uh, it's uh, it, it is very concerning because, like you mentioned, Kieran, around income for Reading, it's fairly consistent. Obviously, we had the COVID year, but. As you'd expect with a club like Reading, we're not a massively supported team. I think we'll all we'll all accept we're not a Sunderland who could get relegated to League One and have. Well, I mean, we don't even have a forty thousand seat stadium for people to turn up to. But at the same time, our even in the Championship, we're averaging gates of around thirteen, fourteen thousand, slightly lower even towards the tail end of this season because the the football has been so so dire this year. But you're not going to suddenly see a boost in commercial income at Reading. So, like you said, you have to get creative in other ways. And I do think for, for a team like Reading, the the only way you're going to progress is if you can, whether it's investment in the academy and you get fortunate. Like, I mean, we've we've all said there isn't a single Reading fan, I don't think, who thinks Michael Lise wasn't sold for what his fair value should have been of around 20, 25 million, really, either. Unfortunately, we didn't get that because of the predicament Reading are in. So you either kind of, you go all in on an academy, you hope that you get the products come through, that you can then sell in the future. Um, one of the things I've always believed as a football fan who's interested in the kind of financial side as well is unless you are Barcelona, Real Madrid or Bayern Munich, there is a bigger fish in the pond. You have to accept that football is a food chain. Even if you're a fan of, say, Tottenham, you know that if Man City really want Harry Kane, he's got a year left on his contract, they're going to get Harry Kane. So as a Reading fan, I think, and uh, to reference this as a moment in time, when we didn't get promoted and Brighton did get promoted that season alongside Newcastle and Huddersfield, the rumour was that uh, Brighton wanted to spend £10 million on Liam Moore. Now, at this point, Reading had signed Liam Moore for roughly one million from Leicester, and he would have been on fairly modest wages at this point. And the owners, instead of accepting the bid, and then you go, great, we've got 10 million to play with. So five million can go to the day-to-day running of the club. Five million we can reinvest in transfers, which, to be honest, five million to buy a centre-back and a, or even a centre-back and a few other players in the championship is like gold dust at the moment. They didn't do that, and they gave Liam Moore a bumper contract that we're still unfortunately paying for. And if, if you do believe in the kind of, as I said, not being the biggest fish out there, you have to accept Brighton are a Premier League team. If they want our centre-back, let him go, essentially. Let, let him go if, if the price is right. Now, it couldn't be that Reading felt that by keeping Liam Moore, they had a greater chance of promotion the following season mm. on the back of getting the playoffs. Um, I, I know when Brighton got to the playoffs themselves in 2015-16, in there was a lot of interest in Dunk, 
there's interest in Knockhart as well. And the club said to the players, give us one more season. Mm. And if we don't go up next season, you know, you're all free. Um, and the players bought into that because they had a good relationship with the manager. And mm. I think it does come down to relationships. So it, it could be that, that you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And mm. it could have been that the club managed to persuade Liam Moore to say, look, just give someone what you're allowed you know, we, 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 we think we can go places next season. We think we see you as being a central part of it. Perhaps, you know, perhaps his contract was, was more lucrative than, than we realised. Um, so if you look at any football club, where it is today, it's down to three elements. First of all, the resources. And as you rightly pointed out, Reading has its natural place in the pecking order of football. And football has its natural place in the pecking order of the people of Reading. doesn't mean that Reading fans are any less committed or more committed than fans of any other club. Because that, that's one thing that really annoys me. People say yeah, that, 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 cause that, we, that people use this sort of collective. Um, as a Reading fan, you wake up, first thing you think of in the morning is your football club. Last thing you think about when you, when you go to bed at night is your football club. Same for Sunderland fans. Same for Newcastle fans and so on. So uh, this, this sort of rather sneery attitude that we get from the media and, and some commentators that fans of individual clubs are not as dedicated as those of other clubs is, uh, is not true. There might not be as many of them. Um, and and, and as, as individual fans, we do perhaps have um, different commitments, but uh, this collective sneeriness towards... And as a Brighton fan, yeah, you know, I, I get it as well uh, as you guys at Reading. So, you know, uh, it's it's something which bugs me. Um, you, in terms of your resources, your resources as far as football are concerned are going to be ticket sales, broadcast, which is outside of your control. That's negotiated by by the EFL. Commercial, you get what you'd expect to get for a club in your position, um, and it's difficult to seismically change that um, the other resources you've got are the players um, and you mentioned Brentford Brent, and if you want to, to do well in the transfer market you've either got to spend bigger or spend smarter and I think what Brentford have done because of Matthew Benham and, and, the, and his background in, in terms of the industry in which he works in he, 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 he spends smarter and um, and, and there's relatively few clubs that, that can say that they've done that successfully. Uh, but, but Brentford are certainly one of them. Brighton's another one. You know, they, that they, that they paid Tony Bloom's company £3 million last season for the magic box that, that Tony Bloom uses as part of his gambling um, advisory service. Uh, but that, that, that works. There's not that many clubs who have got those particular connections, especially with... So therefore... Mm -hmm. In terms of your owners, to whom are they going to rely when it comes to which players you recruit? They're going to rely on agents and they're going to rely mm. on, on the coaches. Um, and, and that's quite old school. And I think this, this is the problem that you get. You either get lucky. Um, it, you, know, you mentioned Huddersfield going up in 2017. Huddersfield had Aaron Moy on loan. They had uh, Izzy Brown on loan. They had Casey Palmer on loan. And they were absolutely fantastic. All three players were superb and they were a major contributory force. Um, so you either get lucky in the loan market 
you've got somebody coming through the academy, but academies, it's, it's like panning for gold. You know, there, there's an awful lot of stuff which gets discarded before you get the odd nugget. Um, and, and I think, I think it, it is indicative that you're up against eight or nine clubs in receipt of parachute payments. You've got some clubs that have got owners who are richer than God and mm. spend accordingly. Um, so so it, it, I think you're in a, a really challenging position and you've got owners that don't have a relationship with the fan base. You talk about, Kieran, with the, the resources of clubs being you know commercial and, and ticket sales and players. Uh, of course, one of the kind of things that we've seen happening, especially in the championship over the last few years with Reading, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, is the, the basically just asset sales to try and stoke as well, is, is asset sales, especially of stadiums and, and training grounds. Um, do you, can you give us a bit more kind of like background as to kind of how that's, how that's working, what the kind of like current rules are? Because Reading obviously now pay rent to the owner every year to be able to use the stadium. And uh, no longer have any of their own assets, and it'd be good to kind of get a get a kind of background as to how that works with other teams now, and what the what the current rules are. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll try to give the history lesson as brief as I can. Before twenty sixteen, the rules were, uh, and these were the rules set by UEFA, but also adopted by, effectively adopted by the Premier League and the the EFL. The rules were that uh, if you had property asset sales, those profits were excluded from your financial fair play calculations. So therefore, there was no financial incentive to selling the ground. The Premier League changed its rules in 2016. Now, my understanding is that that is more cock up than conspiracy. It was simply somebody at the, the Premier League hadn't gone through the the, the 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 rules themselves with a uh, a fine tooth comb and and it dropped into the system that you could now sell your ground to a club run by the owner or sorry to, to a company run by the owner and those profits would contribute towards your financial fair play calculations now as far as the premier league is concerned they, they weren't bothered because that they make enough money so that it never had to be an issue. But in the championship, because the clubs in the championship had to have exactly the same rules as the Premier League, and this was part of the deal for solidarity payments signed a few years ago, which also imposed EPPP on championship clubs, which is another issue. Um, the, club, the club executives did spot that the rules had changed very subtly, very slightly. And therefore, Derby, Aston Villa, Birmingham City, Sheffield Wednesday, Reading, um, all relatively early on sold the property assets. That gave them profits of anything up to £60 million. Um, and those profits were offset against your FFP losses, which, which allowed clubs to therefore spend more money in the transfer market and spend more money on the wages. Um, the... EFL realised that this isn't good for two reasons. A, it's not a proper sale of the stadium because it's to a connected party. So therefore it was giving clubs an FFP advantage. And B, it's it's not actually good for football to separate football club from owners, um, as, as we subsequently saw at Derby. 
when when the uh, when the football club was put into administration, but the football ground was not, and it meant that the owner potentially had uh, a, a pretty big bargaining chip when it came to determining who the the new owner of the football club was going to be. Um, now those rules have changed. They were changed from the first of July. 2021 um, and that is why very shortly before the rules were changed Stoke City sold the Bet365 stadium to Bet365 and booked a profit which goes into their FFP calculations for three years. You, you rightly mentioned um, the, the rental issue. Um, Reading are paying property rent of around about £1.6 million a year. Now, whether that's just for the stadium or for other property assets, I, I don't know. I, I just see a figure here in the accounts. And one thing as well, I guess you've got to remember around these things is fair value accounting, Alex. So one of the issues that was raised with Derby and Sheffield Wednesday that wasn't with Reading is the price you attach to that sale. So, um, I mean, it's like if you imagine you had you own two companies and one selling clothes the others selling cars and the clothes business isn't doing so well you can't if you own the car business just go well I'm going to go and buy one of your t-shirts for two million pounds because then that will boost your figures so what you've got to do is it be a fair reflection because you've got to think almost what would someone buy for that land and the property on top of it in a normal circumstance and what I think Derby and Sheffield Wednesday tried to do was inflate the value of their stadium and the surrounding land. I guess part of the issue as well around this comes to, and one of the things I guess we get from fans a lot of the time that we see on, on Twitter is, why won't Die just leave? Why can't he sell up? The problem with selling up is you'd have to find someone who wants to take on the 100, the, what are we currently on? 86 million pound of debt and also would not own the stadium at this point. So we own the training ground as a subsidiary. RFC Bearwood, you can see in the latest accounts, is owned by Reading. But what you'd have is similar to Coventry this season, where we've seen that Mike Ashley bought the Rico Arena. Anyone now has to do a deal who wanted to buy Coventry, had to then strike a deal with um, Britain's finest negotiator, Mike Ashley, to... Um, to allow Coventry City to play there. So if Dye was to sell Reading, he would then be able to turn around someone and say, well, I was charging Reading 1.5 million a year in property rent, but actually I now think the fair value for the rent is two or 2.5 million. And if you don't like it, I'll just find another club who will pay me less because I'm being awful about this, but they can play at the stadium instead. And then Reading end up homeless or the alternative is, a new owner would also have to buy the stadium from uh, Rene Group Limited and probably spend, again, whatever the inflated value of $25 million has been. So it doesn't make us an attractive proposition to buy for a new owner, which is why when I see fans say just kind of, why won't I just sell up? It really isn't as simple as that. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, that makes uh, yeah. That 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 makes the sale sale of the club like very very difficult, as you say. Here, it's it's not a straightforward process for anybody to come in and take over Reading. And ultimately, why would you? As, as kind of the saying goes, to you know to gain a small fortune if we start with a large one and that doesn't apply anywhere better than the championship really and and it's why as well sorry just quickly you see a lot of football clubs they'll say this team has been sold for a pound what they don't mean that me or you could just rock up at the Medeski and go sorry lads I've, I've got some change actually from earlier when I was down the oracle what it means is they've paid a pound but what they've agreed is to take on the debt from the previous owner. So when Medeski sold us for a pound to the ties, it was on the proviso that Medeski no longer had to take on any responsibility for that debt. That debt now sat with the tie owners. That is the reason you see these clubs sold for, and you see it in the media, oh, this team's been sold for a pound. It doesn't actually mean any of us could go out there and buy something for a quid because... You can imagine for for us ordinary folk having this level of millions of debt on sat on you isn't a realistic thing that you can do. Unless someone out there has got millions of pounds sitting there in their in their mm. accounts, I'm not sure that's going to be a realistic situation. Unfortunately, you. Um, but you know, we we can live in live in hope potentially. <laughs> one of the um, one of the kind of rules around the championship uh, is profit and sustainability and, and clubs are allowed to lose up to a certain amount of money over a over a period of time the average comes out to 13 million pounds a year kieran i know from the accounts it's very difficult to tell um directly what is and what isn't included and how you can kind of work out whether reading have hit that 13 million pounds whether they're above below with the current business plan that reading are on they are required to get to a lot lower than 13 million pounds i know you can't necessarily tell from the accounts whether we've reached that but what goes into being allowed and what isn't allowed in that 13 million pounds right what the rules say is that over a rolling three-year period the football club is allowed to lose 15 million pounds which we then can top up by a further 24 if the owner puts money in, in the form of shares. So that's where we get this 39 million pounds, which people see as 13 million pounds a year in loss. However, if you spend money on infrastructure, that's excluded. If you spend money on a women's team, that's excluded. If you've got an academy, that's excluded. And if you've got a community scheme, that's excluded. And then into the mix comes COVID because the EFL have, have said, and, and rightly so, during COVID, Football clubs had three issues. A, they weren't selling tickets, so therefore there was an allowance for the non-sale of tickets. B, they were incurring extra costs because players were being tested every day. And also, we we, we didn't realise it, but when when clubs were going to away fixtures or even some home fixtures, um, the last thing you wanted during COVID, and I think we've had a, a collective amnesia as to just what the the the, cha- the challenges were during lockdown. 
The last thing you want is 45, yeah, we've got to say, say 30 to 35 people on a single coach because you get one person gets COVID, the whole, the whole coach gets it. So what clubs were doing, they were putting players into sort of six and seven seaters. And so they were incurring extra transportation costs. When, the, when they're going to a hotels away from home, players were going one to a room instead of sharing a room, again, to try to reduce um, the, the risks of transmission of of covid and so on so you had extra costs and thirdly the, the view was taken that as a result of covid player transfer values had fallen because the the market had simply dried up you you certainly yeah, overseas clubs weren't willing to pay fees for players even in the championship itself many clubs were having to operate to a, to a much more stringent budget so therefore the values of, of players when you are selling. So you, you got all of these further announcements. So to, to work out Reading's position, I've got to be honest, is, is practically impossible. But the EFL will have been going through because the EFL will have the minutiae. The, the EFL will have access to the line by line um, analysis of Reading's costs. Um, the, the very and fact- I, I'm, I'm assuming, Kieran, this is one of the things that takes so long because obviously we submitted accounts to the EFL at the start of March and we're now at the 124th of March and Reading fans are kind of on the edge of their seats to try to yep. hear if there's going to be a whether we've breached this business plan and whether we're going to get any kind of points deduction this season is that kind of what takes so long is the fact that every single club has to go through every EFL have to go through every single line of every single club before they can decide if yep. there's any anything breached yeah, I think I think to be fair to the EFL, they will prioritise certain clubs. And at Reading, because they were subject to a business plan uh, commitment, they will be towards the top. Um, I, I've met some of the EFL inspectors. Um, they're, they're just trying to do a job. Yeah, there there is no vendetta against individual clubs. I know fans by by nature feel that we're always being victimised, but that that isn't the case. Um, it is a it's a challenge. There will be disagreements. There will be squabbles in terms of interpretations of some numbers. Then you've got to gather the the head people at the EFL before they make a decision. So it is dragging on. It is dragging on too long as well, because whether there's a point deduction or not, I think we need certainty for, for Reading going forwards because the manager needs to know how many points we need to avoid relegation and also for other clubs in the bottom yet six eight of the championship because they need to know exactly the same. and the closer and closer you get to the end of the season before making such a decision i think the integrity of the game starts to uh yeah the integrity of what we consider to be good about football that ultimately it should, in an ideal world it's all sorted out on the pitch and um, that starts to deteriorate if, if a decision is made a week before the end of the season and it could be that you might have needed to to win both matches with a points deduction, but just pick up two points with no points deduction. That has a huge impact. That has an impact upon you as fans. It's an impact upon the manager. It's an impact on the players, and not just for Reading, but for other clubs as well. So whatever is done, I think it is paramount that a decision is made quickly. Um, even even if it's the EFL comes out and said, we're not signing off on Reading, but as far as 22-23 is concerned, this is where we stand. 
putting my biased Reading fan hat on for a second with the um, EFL comments. So given, I believe we are the first team who breached the FFP um, new rules because it was different reasons for Sheffield Wednesday and Derby getting deductions. Um, is there not an element for the same reason you put a naughty kid in detention who constantly talks all the time through your lessons? Is there not an element that the EFL would like to see Reading relegated to League One on the basis that it sends a message to the teams? Because there are teams who are getting very close to breaking FFP, like Bristol City, Stoke, who I don't want to say got fortunate because of COVID, but at the same time, the COVID season happened at a point where they were getting investigated, but all of a sudden you write off this season because of COVID. <clears throat> Sorry. So it's like, well, if we can send a message that, look, if you break these rules, you're going to end up in League One and, oh, look at Reading, they're not coming back anytime soon. And we have been hamstrung, let's let's put it, by, by VFL regulation. So it's kind of like where it sends that message of don't go and break the rules. Here's your example of why not to. Um, we, we have seen, you know, Reading's at a point of deduction historically, Birmingham City, they had one for, for breach of FFP. And the Birmingham City one, I think, was the most interesting one because that was the first time we ever saw published into the public domain the tariff, just how many points you get deducted in, depending upon just how far over the FFP limit you are. Um, I, I agree that the Derby, I mean, Derby was for going into administration and for the way that they accounted for players. Mm. Sheffield Wednesday was forgetting that they, they they couldn't work out when they, they said we sold the stadium they couldn't quite work out when um so so i think that all of those clubs have been made examples of so i don't think it is fair to to to, to reach that conclusion about the efl um you know hold my hands up i, I have conversations with trevor birch on a regular basis I, I i know trevor trevor's from an insolvency background as am i for when we had days i used to be an accountant trevor is scrupulously fair um and and he he is not looking to scapegoat any one individual club um and in my view the people that he's employed are of the same culture as him so i can understand on on and if, if it was happening to brighton i'd feel exactly the same as you mm. but um i don't think the the evidence stacks up to support that viewpoint fair enough <laughs> Fair enough. I, yeah, I think it's uh, it's one of those things as Reading fans that you can look back over the last few years and feel very hard done by. But ultimately, it's probably due down to the actions of the club and the EFL are just there to put the regulations in place, I guess. Um, let's end on a maybe a bit more of a positive note. And obviously, the accounts that were released last week um, were better. They're not good, but they were better than they've been over the last few years. What's the kind of next few years look like for Reading and where do they go from here, do you think, you? Um, I think one of the things we can all say is positive this year is the investment behind the scenes so that Mark Bowen coming back in, we've, we've all got kind of sick to the back teeth of seeing a certain super agent hanging around the Medeski and it seems like um, that his his appearances have been less and less recently and we're going back to a kind of older school model of kind of a head of recruitment and that you've got a proper scouting network at Reading 
Um, I think that can only be a positive if we're looking to recruit in the right way. I think some of the contracts we've we've given out, bringing in, say, Nestor Guinness-Walker, who's a young player who can develop, I think if if Reading, the real positive for me will be what we see this summer, because if if the restrictions are getting lifted, what I don't want to see is like the summer under Jose Gomez, where we were under a transfer embargo right up until one week before the season started, and then we just went absolutely crazy and spent 13 million on transfers and bought in a couple of free transfers as well who'd have been on massive wages what I'd hope to see is an investment in younger players to complement the fact we know we've got one of the oldest squads I think if you look at it currently this season Reading do have the highest average age of playing staff um right now we don't have a manager who's suited to younger players so I'd be very interested to see in the summer, what we do in terms of bringing in a manager who's more suited to playing younger players, because the only way we do have a good academy, that we can all agree on. You've got players who played in the FA Cup game against Watford who looked comfortable playing in that game. Now, those are players who, if they develop, we've seen Premier League teams will come knocking and they'll offer five, ten million just to have a player sat on their bench. So I think the positive is that if we can just get it right behind the scenes and we can start building on our academy and accepting that players will leave, I think that we can come round from this. Because like we've seen, Reading is a loss-making company. And in its current format, even with the fact that this... So with this season just gone, we sold... Sorry, the accounts we've just seen, 21-22. We sold Elise for £8 million, and we still made loss of loss of 15 million without spending on a single transfer fee at any point. We've seen we can't go back to the old model. So what I'd hope for the future um, is that Reading have learned from their mistakes. And I guess, Kieran, to, to throw that to you, um, is that something that maybe you've seen that you feel Reading are are learning and can go forward from here? Um I'm not convinced. The wage bill is not sustainable hmm. unless, uh, I mean, if, if we take a look at how much Rene put in, that they only put in seven and a half million pounds last hmm. year, but how are they going to get that money back? Tr trying to work out the motives of, of owners in the championship. Um, I, I appreciate that it is a gamble in the sense that you've, if, if you're in the championship, you've got a one in eight chance of being promoted. Um, and owners are willing to fund that gamble. But if you've got owners who are willing to put in 20 or 30 million pounds a year and you're prepared to put in 10, then then where do you go? And, and I think I think Reading are perhaps in a similar position to a club such as Preston or Millwall. Um, the, the owners now have reached a stage where they, 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 they don't want to, to overspend but where does it leave them? Um, mm. yeah, sometimes you'll get lucky. I think Millwall have had a good season. Um, Reading haven't. What What's going to be the owner's response to that over the course of the summer? Yeah. Mm. And, and, and do, do they want to continue to be owners? And if so, who wants to take over? Because you're taking on a huge financial commitment, as you were saying earlier. The yeah, when you look at the teams like Preston and Millwall here, and I think you're right, there's there's always going to be a ceiling for the teams who are who have that turnover of 
15 to 25 million pounds unless you get lucky like mm-hmm. a Luton or a Millwall and you somehow have a good season and make the playoffs and maybe you know reach the promised land as it were and, and hit that hit the jackpot um unfortunately for Reading we seem to be a little way off that at the minute but fingers crossed that if we do stay up this season that maybe in the next few years that we might you know might improve and might might get there from the academy mm. and that will change that can change things yes if there is a if the there's a wonder kid in the academy somewhere and we can manage mm. to keep them that 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 could change things significantly very very quickly um just as long as we can sell them more than more than the eight million pounds we got from michael alise last summer um kieran thank you very much for joining us today um if you don't listen to Kieran's podcast, I would definitely recommend checking it out. The Price of Football podcast. It's twice weekly, Kieran, I think. It is. It, it was supposed to be once a week for 20 minutes. And now we're putting out in excess of two hours of content, not due to us, but due to the lunacy of the football industry. You're welcome, Kieran. We're uh, more than, more <laughs> Thank than you. happy Thank to, you. <laughs> Thank you. Happy to, club to contribute to that. Um, yeah, definitely check out the Price of Football podcast. As Kieran says, it's this two a week and well worth listening to. Cheers, Hugh, for joining me today as well. And um, we'll be back next week before the Bristol City game with a preview of next weekend's game. If you've enjoyed today's episode, drop us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and we will talk to you all very, very soon. Cheers.